Welcome to the Prime Life Project Podcast, a place to help you unlock your full potential, both mentally and physically, to become the best version of you. Welcome back to another episode of the Prime Life Project Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel James, and today I'm joined by Mr. George Howick. For those of you that don't know who George is, the last name may sound familiar because he's actually the brother of one of my coaches at the Promo Project, Charlie. But before we get into today's episode, as always, if you take any value from the information you learn on today's podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like, and share it with a friend. Help us spread the word to help as many people as possible. Today, me and George talk about resilience, and it's a topic that I think has become very, very relevant this year, given the the uncertainty of what's been going on. I think people have had to learn the skill of resilience, but we really sort of unpick it and go into what it really means to be resilient. But the thing I like about this the most is we actually give you some practical tools on how to actually build up that resilience and how to become a good critical thinker. George comes out with some amazing tips, which I've actually used myself personally since talking to George about how to actually use journaling to help you unpick what's actually going on inside your brain. This episode's full of amazing information. As always, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of the Prime Life Project Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel James, and today I'm joined from America by Mr. George Howick. How are we? Good. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you very much. Um, so George, if anyone recognizes the last name, uh, he is the brother of one of the coaches I've got with me at the Prime Life Project. So uh, we've been talking off air, getting all the juicy gossip from, uh, from about Charlie and all the upbringing. And uh, I think we spoke about it last time we spoke. So it's the second time uh, me and George have spoke. Because uh, obviously, jo- uh, George doesn't have a lot of uh, information I can stalk him on. So uh, we had a little bit of a, a previous chat where I got the, the gossip uh, on George and he gave me a little bit of the gossip on Charlie as well. So uh, was it Thanksgiving we spoke last time? It was the day after Thanksgiving? It was the day after Thanksgiving. Yeah, I was very, very full of turkey and potatoes. <laughs> I realized that as soon as, as, soon as I, uh, we finished recording, I thought, oh yeah, damn, it's the day after Thanksgiving. And obviously, like, for me, having lived in America before, Thanksgiving for me, oh, like, there's nothing like it. Do you have any British people that haven't experienced it? It's like can't an ex- put it into words. It's like an extra Christmas. It's like an extra Christmas dinner. <laughs> it's like an extra Christmas on steroids. Yeah. It's just, it's just like, like, like Christmas is about the presents and the family. Thanksgiving is literally food. Food. It's literally I, know it's, food. I know it's meant to be about like giving thanks and all that, but at its core, it's just food. Just eat as much food as possible. It's and then amazing. watching some American football, like it's brilliant. Yeah. Yep. So me and George... I've got an interesting topic to discuss today, and it's a topic that I know a lot of people have had to work on themselves this year that potentially they haven't even realized they've needed to work on, and that topic is resilience. So me and George first got introduced to each other, obviously he's Charlie's brother, but George asked me to read over um, an ebook he'd created all about resilience, and it was absolutely fascinating. And again, people that, that, uh, that know me, I'm dyslexic, I really struggle to read. So when George sent me over this document, I think I said to you, didn't, did I say, I'll, I'll give you a few days? I maybe said it to myself. I, you said I you were I did. in a couple of sections, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I said like, I break it down to a couple of sections. And I'm a bit like, fuck's sake. Like, with anything, if I don't want to read something, like, if I've not gone out of my way to read it, I find it really hard to read it. So, like, if you give me Harry Potter to read, can't read it. But if I go and pick a book, I'll sit down. Anyway, started reading George's book, and I read it in one go. I absolutely smashed it out because I was so hooked into, first of all, how we articulated the message and also how I put it all together. And then I was like, right, we need to get you on a podcast. We need to have a discussion about this. So 
George, talk to me about, because I know CrossFit is a massive thing for you. And again, I know when we first mentioned this, you know, I felt a bit sick in my stomach and the word CrossFit. But talk to me about how CrossFit helped you understand mental health, mindset, and resilience. Yeah, so CrossFit, I started uh, when I arrived in America. Um, I had done triathlon and track back in England, and I wanted in America, um, the only thing that was really accessible to me was CrossFit. So I, I started that about just over three years ago. Um, really enjoyed it. Started coaching. And the good thing about CrossFit is, so CrossFit is uh, it's a method of training, and it's basically about um, not having any physical weaknesses. So if you think mm-hmm. about someone like Mo Farah, very fit, obviously, not very strong. And if you think of the other side of the scale is someone like, uh, like Thor, you know, the strong mm-hmm. man. Iceland's like obviously incredibly strong but he you know uh, I wouldn't say very fit like he, he has some clear weaknesses in his fitness so CrossFit is about building um, almost like the ultimate body in the mm-hmm. average like the ultimate ultimate body in that there's no no kind of weaknesses yeah which I find interesting because obviously I've been doing bodybuilding um, for the last how many years I've just started getting back into football Mm-hmm. And oh yeah. my god, the amount of injuries and niggles I've picked up because my body is not built. Bearing in mind, I played football from such a young age for years, more than half my life was playing football. But just I've not done it for six or seven years, the training I've been doing has not been functional at all. So people who don't know CrossFit is like a brand name. It's actually really technically functional fitness. Yeah, and CrossFit gets a really bad reputation for breaking people. But <laughs> once you actually understand CrossFit at its core, like I actually really like CrossFit, but. It's only when people use it and utilize it properly. Like for me, CrossFit is uh, an extreme sport. It's an extreme sport. Like I couldn't do CrossFit. I don't have the flexibility, mobility, da da da. So if I was going to do it, I have to sort of work my way back. So CrossFit gets a bad reputation because, first of all, if you ever meet a CrossFitter, you will know because they'll tell you. It'll be the first thing they'll say that they do CrossFit. It's like it's like their thing. But also, it gets a bad reputation because people try and do two extreme things, da da da. But as you said there, like I just wanted to sort of hone in on that. Actually, at its core it's fantastic because it is about being completely well-rounded as an individual, which is massive what I'm into uh, like with the mental health, like the whole holistic approach with stuff. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, CrossFit is, yeah. As you said, it's like, it's functional fitness and yeah, it's, there's a lot of skills to le- like, it, cause you're learning weightlifting, you're learning kind of basic gymnastic movements. Um, so obviously there's a, a risk in any sport, but yeah. But what I really liked about CrossFit is this idea of building kind of the the ultimate body that is ready to respond to any challenge. So you could play football on a Saturday, and then you could go on a long hike on a on a Sunday, and then you could carry a carry a refrigerator up your stairs with your dad the next day, and you know not pull you back out. Yeah. So that's what I like about it. And then there's also this other part of CrossFit um, which is really big in the community, which is um, kind of building this almost like an ultimate mindset in the same in the same mm-hmm. way that you're building an ultimate body. Um, and one of the people who really, and this is who I started listening to and who really got me into thinking about resilience and trying to define these things for myself is uh, a guy called Ben Bergeron. Mm-hmm. He has a podcast called uh, Chasing Excellence, which, which you would probably really enjoy as well because he runs a gym. He coaches kind of world-class uh, CrossFit athletes. And um, he approaches coach so you know how uh, you have that training pyramid where you have nutrition at the bottom yep. then kind of broad fitness then sport specific mm-hmm. skills he kind of uh i don't know if he 
invented it, but he's he's added this extra layer on the onto the bottom. So below nutrition comes character mm. and uh, values, mental resilience, positivity, optimism, because these are the things that allow an athlete to train optimally and then deal with the um, unknown and un unknowable variants that's going to come in the uh, in competition because so unlike, does, it, does, it, does he like does he like group them all together as character like basically is is, is character could that be replaced with mindset or is mindset part of the character does that make sense I think I think mindset based on on what he talks about I think mindset would come under character so yeah mindset mindset to me means uh, kind of mental skills so how you reframe things how you perceive mm -hmm. things but then character also under there is like kind of your values. So, mm, you know, yeah. your integrity, honesty, and those are all valuable for a, a, an athlete working with a coach as well. Yeah. I think it's really important, especially nowadays when, again, not necessarily with CrossFit, but in general, uh, like sports in general, because uh, athletes are on such a pedestal now. They have got to have some sort of character and stuff like that. And it's interesting to talk about values as well. I think that's something where, I think where a lot of people feel confused and almost like lost about direction is when they don't have a clear understanding of their values and what they actually stand for. And if they don't understand that, if they are accidentally going against that, they get a bit of conflict, if that makes sense. They're not being congruent with their true self. But it's hard to find out values, isn't it? Like when you're trying to find out what kind of value, like what you want to stand for and what your values are, it's quite a quite a weird niche topic that people don't tend to talk about. They're hard well, they're hard to define. And um but one of the one of the advantages of and so this is and this is exactly goes into the way he likes to train. So the way he likes to coach his athletes is when you define those athletes, they're almost like a way of making decisions when new um, new challenges come your way. Ooh, so like you know, if you if one of your values is, I would say maybe positivity. I would, I kind of group positivity and resilience together a little bit. So if one of your values is I am positive, I'm a positive person, then when you know it could be something as small as spilling coffee in your car or whatever. Or someone cuts you off when you're driving, like you don't, you you don't have this road rage and you lose all control because that's not who you are as a person. You've decided I'm a positive person, and so if someone cuts you off, then like you know, that's not big deal. It's a couple of seconds out of my day, not big deal. I spill the coffee, not big deal. Mm. Um, it's almost like the um, I, I can't remember where I heard this, but I think someone said about the, your values is it's potentially what you'd want people to say about your your eulogy. Yeah, like, like yeah, good good characteristics of yourself. So if people aren't sure about what values are and how you define a value, it's like if you were to die, what would people say about you? Like he was a really kind, loving person. He was really generous. He was this. He was that. Like they're your values. But it's interesting, isn't it? When I said that, but it's it's, just, it's always funny because even when you know your values, and even when you are in this great positive mindset, you're still going to spill your motherfucking coffee. <laughs> You're still going to. Yeah. But, and, and, and this is the thing that's interesting because I'm reading a book at the minute and it's called uh, The Four Agreements. And he talks about it. That's literally bizarrely what I was reading this morning. was about, he's basically saying like, no matter what you implement in this book, you're still going to mess up. It's like you're not going to be perfect all the time. So even if you decided to be this perfect person with these amazing values and one of them is to be like positive and you spill your coffee, like you're allowed to give yourself that split second of being like, for fuck's sake. But then it's then realizing, wait a minute, this isn't who I actually want to be. I want to stand for something more than getting upset over that. But it's quite bizarre, isn't it? Because people don't tend to talk about that when it comes to anything, the value stuff. It's more for like yeah. therapy stuff. So when I'm on a therapy course, ACT Therapy, the main thing is about figuring out people's values and stuff. But I think it's quite interesting how he's then put that as one of the key things to build the foundation of a good athlete. 
Yeah, and it's it's essential. And um, and so one of the things that defines CrossFit is so if you are, you know, a four hundred meter runner, for example, uh, you know what your event when you go to the Olympics, when you go to the World Championship, you know what your event is going to be. It's going to be a four hundred meter run. That's exactly mm-hmm. what it's going to be. You you can almost plan to the second of what's going to happen. You or you almost know what your time is going to be. You know, down to a fraction of a second, and you, there's so much certainty. CrossFit, because it's defined by um, broad fitness in these uh, unknowable challenges. Uh, have you ever watched? Have you ever watched the CrossFit Games on YouTube or anything? I've watched clips of it. I've not sat down it's- and watched it. But I, I I know what it's about, and I've seen clips. Of it. One of my uh, one of my good friends in America, actually, her mm. um, her boss, I think his name might have been Jared. He was a noble athlete, had a massive long beard. Yeah, he was he, yeah. he, he was in it. So I, I've watched clips of him. And yeah, it's fucking nuts. Uh, yeah, it was. And so if you if you want to get a good feel of it, you need to go on Netflix and watch one of the fittest on earth documentaries. Yeah, yeah, I'm, right. I'm happy well, yeah. Um, they they just kind of follow the athletes a little bit through their training and through the competition. But there's usually about 13 events, and the athletes don't know what they are going to be um, before they arrive. But they know they're within the realm. They, it could basically be anything. So they could go off to the mountains and run uh, a trail run, like a, a 5 or 10K through the, through the mountains. Or they could go um, and have to do a max uh, you know, squat clean. And then they'll have a, a swimming event combined with... Um, swimming uh, in it. Yeah, it has, it has swimming. Fuck so yeah. unless what? they had uh, they had these like slam balls. Last time they would they would like swim a length, dive in, swim a length. They would do a little bit on the assault bike, dive in, swim across the pool. On the other side of the pool, they had uh, slam balls, and it was kind of a what on earth? Literally, fair, literally, it, it, it does level the playing field, though, doesn't it? Because if that, you don't know, whole, yeah. The whole point is is who can respond to who is the fittest. Not because if if you know your event's going to be the four hundred meters. You're trained specifically for the 400 meters all mm. the time. If you don't know what your event is going to be, it forces you to train so broadly and have no weaknesses. If you're a 400 meter runner, you know you can have weaknesses in your strength because you're not going to have to lift anything heavy during your event. Mm. But you you can't afford to have weaknesses in your strength on your gymnastics or you know they'll do obstacle courses, you know, like kind of Ninja Warrior style. Um, That's, that that then is such a good. And now I now understand why you like CrossFit. I I, I get it's, it's clicking. It's I, clicking I, now. When you is, watch that documentary, you'll be so pumped that you will. Listen, don't say it. There. Don't say. It. I knew that was coming. No, no listen, no. no. Listen, I, I, I'd never, I'd never live it down if I did that. Next um, time I see you, you'll be wearing a CrossFit t-shirt. <laughs> don't, don't tell Charlie. Um, so so with that, then just me thinking when you're saying this, I now understand as you're, you're saying before. I didn't quite understand it until you just said it. It's almost like a light bulb moment's gone on because it is then talking about resilience for life which is again yeah. what we're talking about today, mm-hmm. it now will make sense because so how many times do we practice for the perfect day? How many mm-hmm. times do we wait for the perfect event, quote unquote, to happen in our lives? And then when something completely opposite happens, we don't have the capacity to handle that. Or we know we've got weaknesses in our life, we don't address them, and time and time again, as weaknesses come up and they cripple us, but we don't go back, we don't reassess, we don't reevaluate, and we don't grow as people, which this is then what I want to get into with your book because you spoke about in there um, a CrossFit athlete and you used a great story about her and basically a really bad experience and then turned positive. So we'll talk about it in a second. But one um, sort of quote with this, I think you said it yourself here, was that the core of like every resilient act is the belief that there is no such thing as inherently good or bad event. So 
resilience is the fact that there's no inherently good or bad event. It just kind of is, if that makes sense. And then it's, from my understanding, it's about the skill of our interpretation of that event. So let's say yeah. something tragic does happen. It's then about us being able to deal with it and turn that negative into a positive. Is that, is that my understanding of it? Have I got that correct? Yeah. And um, yes, and to, uh, like, so to liken, to, so to tie in the, the resilience that goes into CrossFit into the resilience. So this is, so the reason resilience is such a big idea in CrossFit and it's kind of really popular is, you know, we talked about spilling, the, you said we were talking about spilling coffee and getting angry about it in the car. And you said it yourself, like, you're pretty much guaranteed to do that. Like, you're guaranteed, in, in your day, you might as well wake up and say, I'm guaranteed to have a bunch of stuff happen to me that I don't want it to happen. And that is explicitly guaranteed to a CrossFit athlete who wants to go to the CrossFit Games because the whole point of the competition is you don't know what it's going to be. So mm. you, you're guaranteed to get something you're bad at. Like, if you're not strong, you're guaranteed to get something that in, requires strength. Or if you're mm. bad at gymnastic skills you're guaranteed to get something like that so this whole idea of like okay i'm, I'm gonna expect bad things to happen so i'm gonna I, because i know bad things are gonna happen or difficult things are gonna happen i'm going to prepare mentally so that when when inevitably those those obstacles come my way um i will respond the best way i possibly can respond to if that makes sense. Yes, and then that then works into like tying into anxiety. Because obviously, anxiety is always worrying and picturing the worst case scenario. So again, I imagine you get a lot of potential athletes. Not even necessarily um, CrossFit athletes. You can have this with any sport or anything in general. But obviously, sports are really easy analogy for most people to understand. I think a lot of the times when people are struggling, like sports athletes, for example, a golfer, they'll miss a shot. They'll miss a really easy shot or a putt. They will then live in that future which doesn't exist yet they are creating that fear and that worry in the future but then it then affects their performance because then what happens is because you're living in that worried state it will chemically change your body so when your body's chemically changed you're then not your true normal self so then you won't act like your normal self which is essentially what anxiety is so then actually this skill of this resilience is yes obviously with anxiety you're, you're potentially planning things that aren't real but you can never predict what's going to happen like the whole world's going to lockdown in a, in, in a week you, you can't control that there's nothing you can do about that but what you can do is you can build the skills so that if and when something like that does happen you don't lose your fucking shit and your world quote unquote doesn't end if that makes sense so it's quite interesting isn't it? so talk to me then about this this crossfit woman that you used in your book why specifically did you use her as an example for resilience and building this thing of um not seeing an, an event as necessarily good or bad so uh yeah, so this so that whole idea, so the the idea of the of the book I sent you, the kind of the spine of it is this idea that there is no there really and there really isn't no there is no good or bad events. There's nothing that's just inherently good or bad. There's just what happened and there's the story you tell yourself about it. And that's a a quote from one of Ryan Holiday's books, um, The Obstacle is the Way. Um and so this a story that I really like from across the world that really illustrates this. And um, the woman who went through this talks about it extensively herself is, um, so there's this athlete called Katrin Davis daughter. She's from Iceland. And in 2014, she'd, she was a, you know, a professional athlete, been to the CrossFit games twice before. Uh, in 2014, uh, she was in one of the qualifying events and sat in first place, uh, fully expecting to go again. 
And she just had this absolute nightmare of a event um, where it, it was involved uh, rope, so climbing a rope and sprinting um, repeats. And uh, it turns out that this was one of her weaknesses. She couldn't climb, climb a rope, a rope very well. All of her, she, all of her competitors went past her. And um, the, the videos on YouTube, if you ever wanted to watch it, I think it's uh, if you type in Catching Davis Tour 2014 uh, CrossFit qualifiers, you'd see it. And she just absolutely has an anxiety attack slash mental breakdown on the competition floor because she's doing exactly what you just said. Is she is. As she's seeing people go past her, she is. She's knowing that her place at the CrossFit Games is last, but then she's going further. So she's saying, "I'm not going to CrossFit Games this year. My career is over. I, I'm yes. not going to be an athlete anymore." And it just it builds up, and you know, in this high pressure situation, you know, that's that's going to happen. So she lets everyone go past. But then, but then, uh, with that as well, then what's happening is because then she's releasing all the chemicals in her body that's playing into mm-hmm. that that's that state. She then isn't herself. And she's now trying to do an event which she's not good at when she is herself. Her, her, her chemicals within her body have changed. So physically, she's a different person. And then she can be even worse at it. So it's not even mentally she's making herself worse. She's physically making herself worse as well, which is a bit bizarre, isn't it? Like, yeah. most people don't think of that. But literally, physically, she would have been a different person and unable to do things which she couldn't have done anyway. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and so, the, well, the thing is that, that that mindset continued. So after the event was over, she still had half of the competition left, but she'd mentally, she'd like checked out, um, you know, and, and she went forward and date and she just, and uh, she describes it in her book as like, this is just the rock bottom of her career and her life. You know, this is her dream and it's, she's lost it. And um, it was uh, to Ben Bergeron, the guy, the coach I was talking about before sent her a text and the text said, I think these are kind of infamous words now which is you may not realize this right now, but this might be the best thing that ever happened to you. And in that moment, she was like, how on earth is this the best thing that ever happened to me? Like my career is over, everything's over. But as, as time kind of goes forward and she describes it in a book, she gets some space from the sport and thinks about it. And she starts to think a little bit more objectively. And she's like, well, you know, I, I'm young. So I think she's 19 or 20 at this time. I competed with the best in the world this was an event I was really bad at and um, you know, perhaps it's, perhaps this is just a sign. Perhaps this is feedback to me that I need to double down. So she was also studying at college at the time she was, uh, she had a part-time job. And so she's like, perhaps this is just feedback that I need to double down on, on my life as a professional athlete. And, uh, and so that's what she did. And she goes forward and, and she really does. And she really embraces this idea of, this is the best thing that could have happened to me. Mm. And um, this, this, it's interesting, isn't it? When you've got people that be listening to this right now. And again, you, you talk, you're hearing this from George. Uh, and again, he's using someone else's story, but how many podcast guests have I had, even back to the last one with Petra on? Um, and you, you look back and they always say, like myself, that my depression was the best thing that ever happened to me. You look at Petra, she was saying, actually being raised in a cult, and then become an alcoholic was then the best thing that ever happened to her. And it's that thing of hindsight. So when me and George are saying these things, when you're hearing my guests saying these things, it's going to fucking piss you off. It's going to piss you off because I guarantee you now that CrossFit athlete, 19, 20 years old, literally just fucked up. It's all over YouTube and stuff. And then having someone say, best thing's going to happen to you, that is, she's probably thinking, fuck you. 
And like I said before, if I could go back when I was depressed and tell myself all the amazing things were going to happen, I would have told myself to go and fuck myself. So right now, if you are struggling, and me and George are saying this, you just got to trust us. You just got to believe it. But then it's just then reframing what's happening right now, even when you're still living in the nightmare, just ask yourself, like the athlete did, what is this trying to teach me? Like right now, if you're stuck and you're struggling and life is crap and you can't see a way out, what is this trying to teach you? Sorry, George, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I just want to sort of just hone in on that before we carried on about how she then overcame that. Because just wanted people to nip in there and just, if you are struggling and you listen to these words, like again, just to try and reframe it. Look at what's going on right now. Yes, it might be a massive negative. Yes, you might, your life might be an absolute mess, but what is it trying to teach you? So as we're going to find out, this CrossFit, CrossFit athlete did the exact same thing and here's the outcome. <laughs> yeah, so the outcome... Um is you know double down on her on her life as a professional athlete moved to america worked with this coach ben bergeron who then you know helped build up because obviously mindset was another weakness of hers and uh you know she goes on and has won the crossfit games twice and has never finished outside the top five since and it's kind of it's funny the way you pointed that out is like so if you look at that story in a whole with hindsight you know, athlete fails and you come hits rock bottom, comes back. And, you know, that's a story we're familiar with. And it sometimes it's tempting to think, oh, well, that doesn't apply to me in this situation. Because our ending is in the present, our ending is undefined. You know, if we mm. find ourselves at rock bottom, it's very easy to think I'm going to stay at rock bottom. Mm. But the skill, so the skill and the skill of resilience and the skill of, of positivity comes at being at that place of rock bottom with an undefined ending, the, the, the future is uncertain and deciding and deciding to to go towards whatever the best possible outcome of that situation is mm-hmm. um, and sometimes it's hard and it's like you've literally just got to win the day mm-hmm. like sometimes resilience is just winning the day and it, again i talked about this before but it's just like just if it's that bad it's just right what can i just do today just to keep my head above water and again a lot of people have been there but it's just interesting how i guarantee that crossfit athletes rope climbs probably became one of her biggest strengths because what's, what's, what's that saying? Lean, lean into the lean into the, the fear. Like, like, so you, you're facing it head on. So right now, if there's things at work that you know you suck at, if there's things in life you know you're really, really bad at. Let's say in a relationship, you're terrible at communication. You're terrible. Why not hire someone to try and help you communicate better? Why not do some research into how to actually communicate better? Because you know full well that you're going to be in a relationship at some point again with someone, not even in a, in a, um, a sexual manner. It could be like a friend or a work colleague. And you're going to have to communicate. So if that's one of your weaknesses, why not embrace it and just be like, right, do you know what? I really suck at this. Let's just get better at that. Because that's something I've had to really do. My, one of my biggest weaknesses has always been finance. Always. Which is why I end up getting myself into such a shit ton of debt. But now, it's one of my biggest assets. And again, now setting this Prime Life project up, like all this stuff that's going on this year, like I'm in a great financial place, but it's only because I had to acknowledge I fucking sucked. And it was so hard to accept that me, myself, had got me in so much debt. No one else. No one else had done that. That was me. And it's fucking, it's a hard pill to swallow to know that you've got weaknesses because we all like to think we're superior and we just ignore that. But then you've got this CrossFit athlete that's like, do you know what? You're right. I, I fucking sucked at this. She had to fucking swallow her ego, swallow her pride. And then now, as George said, she's not been outside the fucking top 10. Do you know what I mean? Fucking complete change of life around. Yeah. And to go back to, to, to look at your story and to look at something like finances, like there was a point in your life when you were at your lowest low and you didn't, there wasn't, and you obviously know, you know, the, the ending now, which is that you got your finances under control and you're in a, 
a, a more comfortable place. But there was a point when you had to, you had you had no you had a you had a choice, which was either stay at rock bottom, or mm. just choose to make the best possible outcome of your situation. And the best possible outcome of your situation was to to learn the lessons. You know, they were expensive lessons, mm -hmm. but to take those lessons and then to turn finance into a strength. Yep. And so if if you had not hit rock bottom, you probably would not have the like financial uh, you know skills and awareness that you have now. So that that hitting rock bottom was although painful an essential step to you becoming more um, financially savvy. Mm. It's also yeah. sort of this like there's, there's other guests I've had on as well. You don't always have to hit rock bottom. Mm. The whole point of this podcast, the whole point of it, is that you don't have to go through the shit that I went through. Like, so if you're on your way down and you notice and you've got the awareness we keep speaking about, you can stop yourself from getting to rock bottom. Like, trust me, we talk about rock bottom being great and the best thing that ever happened to us, da da da. Trust me, if you can learn the fucking lessons that we went through without hitting rock bottom, I guarantee you, me and my guests will all agree it'd be better not to go to rock bottom. If you can learn the lessons, you'll save you a lot of fucking heartache, probably a lot of money and a lot of sleepless nights. So that's the whole point of this podcast is to just stop you going down that slippery slope. Just little things. Again, if you're just a little bit uncomfortable with something, why are you uncomfortable? What is it? What is it trying to teach you? How can you grow? How can you learn? How can you develop? And going through that. There's also a, a, a second second person in that book that I really want to touch on, um, which people probably won't know about. And that's the, um, the, the neurosurgeon. It's the neurosurgeon yeah, the that just yeah. qualified just qualified, just got his thing, and then he got diagnosed. I can't remember what he got diagnosed with. I don't want to butcher the story, but but talk to me about that because that's also another interesting thing, looking at it from that point of view, where when you really do get handled, handed with something, because what we're talking about now is like with, with the CrossFit and you've got a weakness. Like you can do something about that. That's a weakness. You can do something about that. But what happens if you really get dealt with something that you cannot do something about? It is an absolute nightmare what like that and that, that it is what it is you cannot change that how would you handle that so let's talk about this story because this is a really fascinating one and this is the one that really hooked me the most i think yeah and i think i think this is important to contrast with that with the athlete story because we all we're all familiar with that the narrative of you know i hit rock bottom and then i bounce back and you know now i'm better than i ever was before and there's this kind of idea of like i think of it almost literally as bouncing back as you're on your pre you you're knocked off and then you're back on your previous trajectory and Losing at CrossFit ultimately led her to becoming victorious at CrossFit, mm. and that's you know that's a that's a great story, but it's not helpful to everyone in every situation. This story is follows it has the same it or it illustrates the same idea of no good or bad. There's only you know the story you tell yourself about it, but with a very different ending. So this was uh, his name's um, Dr. Paul Kalanithi. And I read about this story in his memoir, which is called When Breath Becomes Air, which is an absolutely amazing book. I think it should be on everyone's kind of, if you like to read and if you like to read inspirational stories, and this is a very sad story as well, then this is definitely you know one of those books to read. So his story is he was uh, uh, on track. He was just about to finish his um, internship to be a brain surgeon. He was a very uh, highly skilled and had lots of job offers and um, had a very promising career ahead of him as a brain surgeon. He had a wife um, and, you know, kind of a marriage that was, that was suffering because of his internship, but he was just on the brink of the internship ending and him start, starting his life, realizing his dream of being a 
a brain surgeon, kind of getting his life with his wife back and everything would be great. And then uh, as he got towards, um, towards the end of this internship, he started getting, you know, back pain during surgery. And then he went to get it, finally got, got it checked out. And it turns out it was stage four cancer terminal. It was in his, I think it was in his lungs, in his brain. It, was, it had spread all through his body. And the doctors gave him, I, I think they couldn't even give him a, uh, like a prognosis. They didn't, they didn't know whether it'd be years or, or months left of mm. his life. And so this, I thought this was an important story to include. And it's a very inspirational story because it is literally, it's easy to say, oh, losing at sport. Yeah, I can see how that could be a good or bad thing. Literally getting cancer, which is probably universally one of the most feared things that could, and one of the worst things that could happen in your life. Mm -hmm. It's not easy to to reframe that, no. But um, through I I I suspect through the writing of this book, he is probably how he went through reframing it. Um, you know, he went through. He kind of talks through different stages. You know, at first denial, then then depression. But as he comes to accept that this is this is just my future, I'm, unfortunately, I'm going to die young. Um, he's he's he literally he starts to think like, well, what what positive could possibly come out of this situation? It's almost like he's just playing a game with himself. It's like, mm. even if I don't believe it, what possible positive things could come out of this? And uh, he remembers looking at another, another surgeon who is, you know, doing his job and not enjoying it and, you know, not really embracing his life with his family. And he's like, well, if I only have a number of days left, I don't know how many, everything I do must be, um, justified and intentional so if i'm going to go to work i'm going to go to work and i'm really going to embrace every second of being a brain surgeon because it's such a special thing that i worked so hard to have i thought i'd have you know 30 40 years of this i may only get a couple of months so i'm going to embrace every second of it and he's like you know i i, I wanted a family it, it's now or never and they him and his wife talked about it and because obviously he wouldn't be around for the child's whole life but they decided you know life isn't about avoiding suffering and so they have a have a child and so he's like he has this an infant you know not still not knowing when when cancer will finally take a hold of his uh you know take his life from him um but again just embracing every single day and so he lives he lives every single day with such um intention that is he has this short but amazing last few months of his life i think he lived between 18 and 20 months, just over a year. Mm. Um, but this, this is an important story to, to uh, include, I think, because he was dealt probably the shittest hand mm. he could possibly be dealt. But instead of telling himself this story of I'm a victim and I'm powerless in the situation, he instead kind of uh, took on the responsibility of, well, if I only have X amount of days... My, the best possible thing that could occur from this is I have the best, the best couple of months ever. Mm. I think that's a, bit, and, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of people don't tend to live like that, do they? And that, that's the thing. Like we're always waiting for tomorrow, so we're not living in the now. We wait for tomorrow, the weekend. How many people work Monday to Friday, wait for the weekend? Like you're literally wasting away five days of your life every single week. And then maybe you get summer holiday. So you're basically just living for the summer holiday, living for the break, living for the weekend. Like 
And again, the whole thing of Buddhism and that sort of stuff about just being present in the moment and actually enjoying life as it is. That's that's kind of what this whole thing's about. Like this this guy made the decision. He's like, I've only got a certain amount of minutes left. Minutes. Like so you've all had it up. Yeah, he's let's say eighteen months, but still minutes. So he, he's got to be intentional with everything he does. He's not gonna be sat there scrolling through Instagram. For, for, for hours because that's literally hours of his life that he's not going to ever get back and it's coming to an end very abruptly and this is the thing i think and again i know this is a completely different topic and it's something i want to get um scarlet back on the podcast to talk about but death like death is that it's, it's coming for us all like we, we can't do anything about it that like, we can't so with this with this brain surgeon he then had essentially an end date he didn't know exactly when it was but he knew within the next two years you're going to die. We all don't have that. Like we, God, I hope to God that no one listens to the podcast ever gets that, but we could get hit by a bus as soon as we step outside our house. We do not know our clock and we don't know how long we have left, but we, we'd never live with intention. We don't think to ourselves, right, what do I enjoy doing? What do I actually want to do? And this is fascinating. We're talking about this again since we last spoke because I did a, a webinar with my business coach three days ago and he was talking about in your diary, you have to put down for the week your non-negotiables, the things that you enjoy doing. And there's a quote, hang on, my book, I don't even expect it to go down this route. But basically talking about how you've got to make your business work around your life rather than your life working around your business. And I think that's absolutely incredible. Like having something to look forward to on a daily basis, not waiting for the weekend. Like, But actually, when you are going to work, go to work. Be in the moment at work. Be the best you possibly can be at work rather than can't wait to finish because you're just gonna live in misery you're there you're there you might as well make the most of it you might as well actually up your game you might as well actually be the best version of yourself you might as well here's a crazy idea you might as well enjoy being there because you've got to be there whether you enjoy it or not so why not just change your mindset reframe it and actually enjoy it so i went on a massive tangent there but i think it's just something that's quite relevant because it's like we never talk about death in this culture whereas in other cultures death is not something to be feared but in this culture, we, we fear it, so we don't talk about it, and we just live like zombies. Whereas if we actually knew when we were going to die, how much would our life change? And I think that's fascinating, which is why I think that's why, when I heard that story, that's why it really resonated with me so much. And I want to kind of flip this a little bit, because obviously with your son, people won't know this, but your son was born with a, with a heart condition. So it's interesting when we listen to that story. Like, obviously, you, your son's absolutely fine now. He's going to live a, a long, healthy life. However, he isn't going to be able to do things that other kids are able to do growing up. So he's going to have to learn his own sort of resilience and he's going to have to master his own self-talk. And this is something we spoke about before, isn't it? Where we spoke about like critical thinking. So what is the power then? Because this is essentially what we're talking about with what the doctor did as well. Like, What is critical thinking, do you think, to you? And how then are you going to apply that to your son growing up? So I think critical thinking to me is uh, a lot of times is, is we've got to have this idea. It's like you read a paper online and it's like, you got to see like, is, is this person, uh, does he have any ulterior motives? Is he lying to me? You know, whatever. I, do, I don't, that, I think that's part of it, but that's not um, the whole, that's not the whole, uh, that's not the whole idea. I think the whole idea, I think a more useful kind of phrasing is, is kind of, uh, a detachment of your emotions and ego from these, the information or, or the story. Um, say, for example, I mean, to, to throw it back to the, to the story of the brain surgeon who got cancer, when he acknowledged that 
my body is filled with tumors and um obviously that brings certain emotions to me if i could detach for that from that for a second and just look you know just be critical of my story like this is i've got cancer this is the worst thing that could possibly happen to me let me just kind of detach from that story let me just put that story to one side for one second and he's like i i have cancer i have a number of days left um those are the facts and once you've kind of detached from that, you can be like, okay, is there another story I can tell myself about this? Well, the other story is, this is a, a genuine opportunity, a genuine opportunity to acknowledge my own death that's imminent. Everyone's death is, like, like you said, like any, anyone's death uh, is imminent. No one knows when they're going to die. It could be a short amount of time. It could be a long amount of time. This is a genuine advantage to know this so clearly that I'm going to live with such intention. Um, and so, and I think, and th this, this is something I, I have done and plan to apply to the challenges in my own life. So as, as Dan said, so my, my son was born with, uh, it's called truncus arteriosus. And it's basically where um, two of the, uh, two of the valves, so you know, you have four vessels coming out of your um, mm -hmm. heart. Two of them were joined into, into one. So he's only got three. So basically, when he was born, they had to do open heart surgery where they um, they split. No, they they joined one and they had to add an artificial one in. Okay. And uh, it was it was a major surgery. Pretty much immediately when he was born, we were in, we had to stay in the hospital for six weeks. Um, okay. And it was it was hard in that you have this baby, this this soul that doesn't know anything, but he's just in in. You know, not constant pain, but frequent pain from nurses and doctors having to do things from him, constantly having, you know, drugs and stuff up his nose and all these monitors all mm. over him. You know, very and a very difficult time for, for me and my wife. And, and but this is something we would talk about. So this it's obviously the story of like poor us, poor baby, this is a horrible situation, but um it is and it's it's important to have conversations where you uh, try to detach from that um, that story of this is the worst thing ever. But it's so hard, isn't it? Because we attach so much yeah. ego and meaning yeah. because it is our story. It's our story. How, how easy would it have been for you and your wife to be like, no, 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 poor us, poor us, poor child. Like, no, no, we want, we want that. That's us. This is us from now on. We are like the victims and we're always going to, we're going to carry that around with us. And it's really important with this. Like when you talk about the story, like the stories that we tell ourselves, then become us. I'm talking about character at the start. We talk about our values and that sort of stuff. Like if you're just carrying around this victim mentality constantly and that woe is me and the story that you're telling yourself is always looking at the negative, like everything's just going to be a massive fucking negative. So what George talking about here is such a powerful skill of just looking at, right, what the fuck? Get, let's get, get rid of all the fucking bullshit. Let's get rid of all this fucking bullshit. Just strip it back, strip it back, strip it back. What's actually there? What's the, what is the bread and butter? What is the facts? Not my opinion, not what my brain's telling me, that voice we spoke about with, with Leo Flowers and all the other stuff, not that voice in your head. What's the actual facts? And then what are you going to do about those facts that are going to help you move your life forward? That's essentially what it is, isn't it? At its core, mm -hmm. like looking at it being like, how can I move my life forward? How can I use this factual information to move my life forward? And again, it could be something as horrific as cancer, which I hope no one has to go through personally and suffer. But the doctor had that, stripped it back, got rid of his emotion, the woe is me, all the ego, all that sort of stuff. Like, right, 
I've got cancer. I'm going to die. I'm going to use this time to help loads of people. I'm going to use this time to have a child. Da, 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 da. Like all the positives that wouldn't have been there if it sat there in that clouded pit of misery. And again, same with yourself. It'd been very easy for you to, but again, what, what good does that do your son? You living in that state of fear, that state of worry and woe is me. It doesn't bring any benefit to him apart from teach him your story to play the victim. Yeah. And, um, and that, that's, that's the other thing is if, uh, if you're telling yourself, if you're telling yourself and telling others a story of victimhood and a story of absolute negativity and there's, there's, there's no, there's no positive to the situation, then you're going to pass it on to uh, whoever's around you. And for my wife and I, obviously that will be our, our son who obviously can't hear our conversations right now, but one day um, it's, it's a responsibility. I think it's a responsibility of ours to have conversations with him because so he's going to, so he's going to have this uh, heart defect um, you know, his whole life. He, he, and he will have to have more surgeries because that, that part, the uh, replacement valve obviously isn't alive. It won't grow. Mm-hmm. So I, I think at least two more times in his life, he's going to have to have it replaced. Um, you know, once in childhood, once in probably in adulthood. Um, and it will, we, we don't know, but it will probably limit him physically mm-hmm. as well. So, and as a child, just particularly growing up in America where sports are everything, you know, potentially limited into what he can do. Um, you know, I think being able to have a conversation with him where we'll be like, you know, let's just play, let's just play a game. And that, I think that's what it is. Like, you don't have to believe, like, even if you do, if, even if you do feel like a victim, even if you do feel like it's unfair, just, just play the game for a little bit. Just imagine it's a game. Just be like, okay, if I wanted to think about this the other way around, what would I say? Mm. And so there's just having a conversation where we would say something like, you know, how could you see this heart condition as a gift? And there's just a variety of answers. I mean, it'll be up to, it'll be up to him ultimately to answer, but like, you know, could you do, uh, uh, he actually has the same thing as, man, what's that snowboarder called? Sean. Oh, um, the ginger. Sean White. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's, it's a very, it's not exactly the same, but very similar, uh, thing to what Sean White has. So it, it is possible to, and obviously his, his, his sport is more high skill, I would mm-hmm. say, than high uh, physicality. So it's like, you know, it could be the best thing that ever happens to you because you could do a sport to a high level and promote, be like, and, and be a, a beacon of, of hope to other people with heart conditions. But that's, an that's, interesting thing. that's an interesting thing, though, isn't it? Because he might even want to do sport, might want to be an intellectual. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Like, it's not assuming yeah. anything. Yeah. It's just like letting him. But this is the thing that Petra mentioned as well. You're getting him to ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. Rather than playing the victim of I cannot do anything, okay, well, what can you do? What 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 yeah. could you do? If do you know what I mean, and, it's just, it's just that, that, and this is all that reframing is. That when 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 my George and my guests we talk about reframing your brain, is just getting yourself to look at a situation in another way. And the easiest way of doing that is asking yourself the question: Well, what if this wasn't the case? Well, what could I do? You're just asking yourself the right questions. If you ask yourself the right questions, you will get the right answers. But normally, all we're doing is just playing the negative things in our head and we're doing it backwards and we're not asking ourselves the questions. We're confirming stuff that isn't true and then we're reconfirming that negativity, which isn't true. So then we don't even try and then that's it. Then we've created this narrative in our head that's just not not real. So I love that. And this is the thing with you, George, that I love is 
you're not just like really writing this book and it's like la, da, 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 like all these amazing people like it's something that you are actually very very passionate about and you're going to have to actually practically implement it in your life with yourself uh, with your wife with your son like it's something that's going to be very very relevant because as you said it's a heart condition that's always going to be there so again it's like just just uh, your son grows older giving him the skills to actually just develop to be this resilient person that is going to have to have surgery because then my, my cousin well, I, I know he listens to this like he's had numerous heart surgeries numerous eye surgeries he's had numerous numerous surgeries but again he's, he's living a great life it doesn't limit him yes he's not going to be a professional footballer but he can still do loads of other stuff and he's a completely normal life and that's the thing it's like you're just reframing your brain but then for you then yourself personally that's had to again i can't even imagine for a single second what it must be like uh, seeing your son in hospital like that but do you have any sort of routines habits and rituals not specifically for that time but in general that sort of do keep you more grounded and in control because this is what we talked about before like you've got to have those foundations which I'm assuming you did have those foundations. So when that shit did hit the fan, you didn't just crumble and you sort of held on to some sort of control. Yeah, I think, um, so I, I, as, as you said, like I, I kind of had the, uh, those beliefs and the, I, I was familiar with those ideas anyway. Um, and so there's, it, it, is, it is literally all about just ref- taking that, st- initially wiping that story clean looking at the facts and applying a more empowering story to your situation to make you, to help you to make bad decisions. And I think, uh, and we talked about this a little bit last time as well. One of the, an invaluable tool to do that is the journal. Mm. Um, and so I think, so if we're talking about how it's a, so in fact, so let me define what I think of what I think resilience is first. Cause I think that's yep. useful to go forwards. So sometimes so I remember, and when my wife and I talk about this, I remember she says something along the lines once we were talking about either positivity or, or generally, and she's like, and she said, uh, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm lying to myself, like I'm saying it's not, it's not gonna, I'm saying it's not bad, but really it is. And that was, I thought that was interesting and, and um, prompted a lot of thought from me because when we talk about positivity, it's not seeing the world through rose-tinted glasses and ignoring all the bad. That's not what it is at all. You know, that's that's not that's delusion. You know, mm-hmm. what I think positivity, and that's why I prefer the word resilience. I think resilience take away the positive part. Resilience is more our best effort to see the world object, see the world objectively. So see the world with no point of view, and then um, work to see the the opportunities that come with whatever situation we're in Mm. um and in order to get there so first off to kind of strip away uh i don't know if i want to say strip away the emotion because that's that's not exactly what we're doing but just to remove your ego from the situation just to get in a state where you you can do that um i think you've got a um so I think e- ego is like very, very personal, isn't it? There's a difference between ego yeah. and emotion. So ego is you're taking things personally. Like, so, so, so ego is a thing, like whatever this is going on, you're telling yourself this n- narrative, this story in your head that makes it so, so personal that it doesn't need to be. So when we're talking about taking the ego away, again, this is a massive, massive topic. You could do a whole fucking podcast on ego. But essentially what ego is, is it's you're taking away that personal touch. Like, for example, 
finding out you're getting cancer, like you get so personally attached to why me, da 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 da, da and you're you're personally attached. Again, George potentially uh, with his with his um, son's heart condition, his whole ego could then go fucking crazy, and he makes it all about him. But it's not about him. So we're talking about ego here. We're talking about just taking you out of it, as George said, not taking emotion because emotion is still very very important. So ego is just when you're removing the the the, the you element. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, you're removing the you. You're kind of trying to see this as a, a a bird's eye view, and I think the best way to do that there are two ways to do that. And I think and Brene Brene Brown talks about writing uh, a shitty first draft. <laughs> and so when you're uh, either journaling or even through conversation, you're literally you're just going to write that story and just get it out of your system. You know, I I don't think I need to do that so much just just because of naturally who I am as a person. I know my wife; she just needs to vent and she just needs to say her story. And she just needs to get her emotions out, either verbally or on the page. Um, and you just need to do that shitty first draft. And just not something to, to pay attention to. It just, you just need to get out of your system. And I think once you do that, then... I think before you carry on with that, I just want to pick one point on this because I know, I know exactly where you're going with this. I just want to make a key point with this. Me and Heather did a podcast on this about being careful who you vent to. So mm, when you're venting, yeah. especially if a shit situation is coming about, be careful who you choose to vent to because there's a lot of motherfuckers out there that will use this against you. Because basically what George is saying here, like when you're in your rawest state, you're completely raw with emotions, vent, get it out. So if you can't write it on paper, if you're not like that way inclined and you're talking to someone, be very, very careful who you talk to. Sorry, I, I want to get, get in there because I, don't mean, I, I, I know so many people, and, you, and I'm sure you know it as well, where people just tell anybody this fucking woe is me story. It's like, that's not really helpful. You want to have someone that you trust so yeah, so, so, so you, you wrote it down, you've got it on paper, then what would you do? What would next step be? I think that's a good point you said, actually, because the other thing is if you, it's better to write, it's, I think it's preferable to do it, to write in a journal than it is to say to someone else because they may also reflect or project or... Um, reinforce. Re, yeah, reinforce the story, which is actually the opposite of what you want. So yeah. I think if it's someone you trust and someone who's good at reframing... And could be objective. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and can be objective. That's good. I think the journal is better because it's not gonna talk it's to not you. gonna wind you up. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's just it's just a story. So get your shitty first draft out of the way. I think journal is, is preferable. Um and then the next step is almost is to try and define it. It's to try and is to try and say it in almost retell that story in as uh objective terms as possible. And to give you I think a little prompt to help you think that way is to think about um, what is the evidence that the opposite of what I'm saying is true. Um, so to give you an example, I actually completely took advantage of this way of, of doing this the other day. So I had a, I work in food development and we have clients come in who, who develop different products and I have this one really pushy client called me on the phone and pretty much pushed and bullied that way into the schedule. I didn't really want to accept them. It's a big inconvenience to me. And then for the rest of that day, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I couldn't stop th- feeling frustrated and out of control. And so I, I took advantage of the... So I, initially, I wrote my shitty first draft about how they took advantage of me and it's not fair. And then once I kind of got that out, I was like, well, what's the ep- what is the evidence that the opposite of that is true? And I was like, well, I'm not out of... Con- it, it wasn't out... I, w- I did have control because I was the one who booked them into the schedule. That was on me. Um, were they pushy? Well, you know, they... They're a business, and they they did they didn't really push that hard. They just they were just asking if they can get on the schedule, and I said yes. If I didn't want to say yes, I should have said no. Um, 
And so as I worked as I worked through that, and I was like, you know, I really could have I really could have said no if I wasn't, you know, kind of caught on my heels. And then I was like, you know, if I'd have just created some time, if I'd have said, hey, let me check the schedule and I'll call you back and create the time, depressurized, I, I could have handled that way better. And so the story has changed from um, this client bullied me into doing something I didn't want to do to actually in the future, I can really just take control of the, the situation a little bit better and mm. do that. And that's kind of the next step. So once you've kind of looked at the evidence and it's kind of playing the devil's ad- advocate, you know, to look at the evidence of what, <clears throat> what the, uh, the opposite that justifies the opposite might be true. Um, I think that's the time to ask yourself questions like um, what is in my control and what is out of my control. Is out of my control that a client's going to um, call me instead of email, which I prefer. Is out of my control that you know my son would be born in a with a a heart condition. What is in my control? What's in my control to uh, um, on how I respond to that, and is in my control and what questions I'm going to talk to my son about. Mm. I think one thing there was when, when when George was talking about how he wrote that story about that guy we sort of bullied his way in. If you want to hear about the ego and what we talk about there, just go back and just listen to how George described that then. He's like, the guy took advantage of me. That right there, if you want to know what ego we're talking about here, that is what that is. So George's first story was, that guy took advantage of me. Okay, well then, when George then broke it down, the guy didn't take advantage of George whatsoever, but George's ego was being like, oh, where was me? Me, me, me. And it made it all about him. And again, it wasn't about him. Then you break it all down and the guy didn't really do anything wrong. He wasn't preferable, didn't do anything mm. wrong. But then you're then breaking it down, breaking it down, breaking it down. And this is the key thing I wanted to pick up on here. There's a, for me, keys to success. There's a formula to success. And that is pain plus reflection equals progress. Now, if you then go back and listen to what George did, he was fucking pissed. He was pissed. He'd stressed. He had a shit day. That was the pain. That was his pain. Like he was, it, it, again, his head was messed that whole day. He was really pissed off. Da, 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 da. Where was me? Pain plus the reflection. So he then reflected. He journaled like we spoke about. But the key thing with this is the progress. Pain plus, pain, pain plus reflection equals progress. The progress is the fact he reflected on it and he said, what could I do next time? Well, he could have said, do you know what? Actually, let me just check my diary and I'll get back to you. So next time George is in that exact same situation where another salesperson calls him up, George now knows what to do. And how many times in your life do you keep doing the same mistake over and over and over again? It could be on your diet. Like you keep, keep going past McDonald's, you drive past McDonald's and you always go past McDonald's. Again, that's causing you pain because it's messing you up on your diet. You can't just have one Big Mac, you've got to have five. That's causing you pain. You then need to reflect, why the fuck do I keep doing that? It's because you're starving, you haven't eaten for seven hours and you're driving past the McDonald's. Okay, then next time, what are you going to do to make sure that doesn't happen again? That is the reflection and that's what equals progress. And that is how you keep moving forward with your life. This is the fundamental formula right here that I teach my clients to move them forward to be better versions of themselves. That is it. Because so many people bury their head in the sand. Oh, I won't go to McDonald's. Won't go to McDonald's. They go. You there, George. You could have said, fucking salesperson, da-da-da, wanker, never going to happen again. Next day, someone calls you up. You do the same thing. And then before you know it, your entire week, it's just guys calling you up. You're getting pissed off. When all it is, is just you haven't reflected on how can I stop this from happening? So I just want to just unpack what you said there because mm-hmm. you were giving absolute nuggets there and I just want to break that down to the audience and just flip it back to the audience and being like, if you're stuck in this negative cycle, pain plus reflection equals progress. And this reflection is exactly what George is talking about now. 
Yeah, and I think the most useful question for me is, I've said it before, but just to repeat it, is what is the evidence that the opposite is true? Or what is the evidence that I'm, that I'm wrong? And again, just play the game. You don't have to, to believe it. Just look for the evidence, and then you'll probably, you'll, you'll, you'll see that, that oh, well, you know, <laughs> this, hard, this, evidence is there. Yeah, this, this evidence is there because I really wasn't taken advantage of. <laughs> I was completely complicit in, in that whole situation. But the thing is, that makes me, it made me feel so much better because imagine the feeling of being taken advantage of or being pushed versus the feeling that you know yeah it was kind of my mistake and I can control it better next time that is a way better feeling I, I feel more in control because 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 it was it was at least half my fault mm. you know I can't control them my my client being rude or my client you know whatever I can't control that but I can control my half which is how I respond and and acknowledging how I didn't respond that well the first time but how I can respond better in the future makes me feel way better and reduces my anxiety I'm not afraid for them to call next time I'm almost waiting for them to call so I can yeah so I can be like oh let me just call you back and yeah and, then, and that's the thing as well and this is also with this it's then you you've built a better relationship with that person just mm-hmm. by doing this because yeah. before you'd have resented that person you'd have hated that yeah. person that then yeah. affects your business that then affects mm-hmm. your business again this is where people don't seem to see the bigger picture so look at this so let's say george all week has got these calls he's not done any sort of reflection on this he's getting all his stress all his calls he's then going to resent his job he's going to hate his job these people are going to see george george subconsciously is going to be thinking in the back of his mind you fucking bellens i should not be fucking here this you fucking you took advantage of me now is george going to want to do business with someone that took advantage of him is he going to want to do the, his best his best, uh, best work? No, of course he's not. Then what's that going to do? That's going to affect George on a personal level. That could then potentially lead to George getting fired, then George losing his house. You go down further down the line, but then, then George plays the victim. These fucking guys. Da, 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 da. But actually, it was completely George's own doing, but he hadn't reflected on it. And again, that's an extreme example, but this is where you hear all this narrative and that whole ego thing of, I'm the victim, I'm the victim. No, no, no. Now, sometimes you genuinely are the victim. You genuinely are. But wouldn't it be nice to know that you're the victim rather than assuming? Wouldn't it be nice to know you've got more control? Wouldn't it be nice to know that you could have done something a bit different? Because again, it can just change the whole outlook on everything. Going fucking went deep with that again. I don't know where this all come from. I felt, I felt quite tired no. before we started this podcast. I'm just fucking <laughs> going off on one. So, but yeah, I mean, you said, and the thing is to play the victim is in the moment very comfortable. There's a comfort to being like, it wasn't my fault. Like they, they bullied me. And is to not play the victim is to take responsibility of, at, there's always at least half, it's always at least half your fault. And then once you take, I think, and that's a big, we talked about, um, you know, you, you mentioned anxiety. Like, once you acknowledge that this is at least half, maybe mostly, maybe all your fault, then that accepting that responsibility also means you accept the kind of power and control. You you get the control back to control yes. that in the future. So I don't. I'm not going to have anxiety when that client calls me again because I know what I'm going to do because I know it's going to be in my control. Mm. Uh, and you know, a lot of time anxiety is imagining this future that is out of your control and you, you can't affect the future. You can only affect the present. So I know that once that happens again, that's, that's what I'm going to do. And that's the thing as well. Though, it's also that narrative. So that story that you say, like it, the anxiety is, is a story you're telling yourself about something like worst case scenario and all that sort of stuff. And it's not even reality. Yeah. And, um, I was going to say, I think we had a final point. Yeah. You're about to say something then. <laughs> it jumped out of my head. 
I, yeah, I think, but yeah, I think, uh, well, did, what I was going to say is, obviously, that is a really small, that's a small daily obstacle. There'll be another one, I, uh, there'll be an ob- another obstacle like that today. There'll be one yesterday. You know, every day there's a small obstacle like that. It's nothing like losing at the CrossFit Games or getting cancer or whatever. But that's kind of the point of the journal as well. So if you do this every day or if you do it like, you know, a couple of times a week, you're practicing that skill of reframing and you're practicing the skill mm. of, of uh, okay, this is, I recognize this, I feel bad. I recognize this is a story. This is the next step. I should look at what the, look at the evidence of the opposite or look at the evidence that I'm wrong. And then, um, you know, either look at what you can control, what you can, cannot control or look at, you know, how could this possibly be an opportunity? If you practice that skill every day of going through that process, then when something huge, this huge obstacle does appear in your life, you'll have this, it'll be much harder, but you'll have the skills to, um, to reframe it and to, to make the most of it. I'm so glad that that's the last point we're going to get in there, by the way, that, because you have beautifully articulated that. And I hadn't even thought about that because you're completely right. Like, because again, all this stuff, like people that are successful, people that are always positive, da, 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 da. They're not born with that. We are all fundamentally born the same. Yes, there's some genetic components and stuff, but it's all a learned skill. It's all a learned skill. Now, some people do it consciously. Some people do it unconsciously. Like I am very unfortunate in one regard is that I have to do this consciously. Like, but again, in reframing that, I'm very grateful because it's actually a massive skill that I'm now consciously aware so I can help other people. So it's stuff like this. Don't be thinking that all these people you see that are successful and all sorts of stuff that always seems to be positive and da-da-da. No, you can learn that skill too. And it is a learned skill. And it's that compounding effect. This is why gratitude journaling is so powerful. Like I've done a whole podcast on it. It is insane because it just helps you retrain your brain to handle situations better. And that's all we really want to do. Because again, your mindset, your brain, that is the most important tool you have. And it's important that you take back control of it. You don't leave it up to other people to determine your happiness. George, where can people find out more information about you? Because I know you've got an amazing Instagram page. What's your Instagram handle? Yeah, so uh, so I write a, a very short uh, blog. It's called uh, Functional Mentality. You know, kind of comes from functional fitness, functional mentality. Um, where, you know, it's just kind of uh, very short posts on topics such as this. Um, yeah, so that's how you can find and the link will be in the show notes. And honestly, uh, when your ebook does come out, like I said, I'll make sure I'll post it all out there in whatever format and wherever it's posted available. But no, George, thank you very much for today. Thank you, Dan.